Welcome to the Flourish Conference podcast. Each spring, women from all over the country gather together at our annual conference to learn, grow, and flourish together as a community. Here is the recording from one of our sessions at our 2023 conference. Welcome, everybody. Um, So I'm just going to share my life with you this morning. I'm going to touch on some things that I've experienced. Um, I've been through some abuse. I've been through a divorce. And um, I think that maybe some of you here maybe are suffering through some of the same things. Maybe you have a husband that's an abuse. He's abusive to you. And um, so that's what I want to talk with you about. Um, God is good. Um, I just want to say that if you are hurting, if... If you've been through this situation and maybe there's someone that you know who's going through an abuse that I want to bring out some things for you today. I once heard it said that marriage is like a phone call in the night. First the ring and then you wake up. And then I want to add to that reality checks in. And sometimes you realize the guy you thought you knew wasn't the guy that you thought you knew. So, talks about toxicity today, toxic marriage, toxic masculinity. Um, I love Natalie's sentence, uh, message last night talking about uh, her husband. Masculine, masculinity to me is somebody like Rick who can get in your car and say, you're low on oil. Only a man would do that. I don't think a woman would get in my car and tell me you're low on oil. But men are concerned for the safety for you in the car. To me, that's traditional masculinity. Toxic masculinity today, social issues in our life, is destroying our men, our men and our boys. It's stealing their gender, their identity. We have gender dysphoria. We have now young men who are castrating themselves, men who don't know who they are, men who are afraid to talk to women for being accused of sexual harassment. And we have a suicide rate four times that of women in our men. We have feminism that began with a peaceful protest, fighting for votes, fighting for equal pay and equal job opportunity, to becoming promoters pro of violence, of hatred of men, and abortion, the murder of babies, even at the time of birth. Now, sexless marriage is more common than you think. It's a subject that's really discussed. But it is the number one thing Googled right now, marital issues, is sexless marriage. I say all this just to say this is where the world is headed if we as Christians don't fight against the spirit of deception. I will say I once was a feminist. I once was very pro-choice. I was very deceived. And so my prayer is for those people that God would open their eyes and that God would set them free in the mighty name of Jesus. Talking about toxic masculinity, toxic, the feminism, the whole thing. I'm going to lead it right into toxic marriage because some of us are in a toxic marriage. Um, How many of you read the book Sacred Marriage, Gary Thomas? Great book, great book. I think almost every church in America has been through that in their marriage counseling. Gary Thomas, for over 30 years, has helped marriages become strengthened and strong. But he's also had the failures in marriages, mainly because of abuse. So I've been through his book, Sacred Marriage. Our marriage was restored through that. Um, 
But through the 30 years of working with marriages, he has found, mainly through abuse, that some marriages really need help and some marriages just didn't make it. So he began to do research and study and see what has to be done to help these abused women. And he came out with another book. The book is Walk Away. So he talks about in this book discerning when you need to walk away from a situation like this or when do you need to wait. And he begins to speak about a separation. Now, he spends a lot of time with these couples. He spends a lot of time with these women who are abused. And, of course, usually most of them are going to be on their own. But he speaks to them. He, he shares the Lord with them. I wasn't raised a believer. I don't know if you were. I was married um, into a relationship, unbeliever. I was abused relationship. I didn't know who God was in my life. I didn't think he, he loved me. I didn't think he cared. So you have all these different situations that Gary Thomas is dealing with, okay? Sacred marriage is all about our relationship is strong with God. Our relationship is strong with each other. But if you've got couples coming in for ministry and help and they don't know God and sometimes they don't want God, they've been hurt, they've been offended, you've got to meet them where they're at. And so he suggests a separation. You know, we never want to promote divorce to anybody, but if a woman is being abused, worse yet, if your kids are being abused, then you need to make a step. You need to make a move, okay? So he has worked with many of couples like this. I'm being so careful with this right now, but... I'm just going to say I've been there, okay, you guys. So Gary Thomas suggests get on a separation, okay? Um, get away from the abuse situation. If you're being physically abused now, you need to get out. And then get some counsel. Separation, focus on the family, also has five things now, five signs of why you should separate. Now, I'm going to say counsel is the most, more, most important thing that you need right now. Proverbs 11.14 says that where there's no wise counsel, people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. You need to find trained professionals who have had experience with abusive people, and you need to get them help, and you need to get help. Now, the five signs to separate. Number one, if there's intense arguing and violence in your home. Number two... If you live with somebody who was freed from an addiction, but now he's relapsing, there needs to be a separation. Number three, if he has totally disengaged from therapy, from group activities, from just communication, you need to separate. Number four, infidelity, uh, anger, violence, abuse. You need to take a time of separation. Number five, lies and deception. Gaslighting. I don't know if you're familiar with the term gaslighting. Gaslighting is when your abusive partner makes you think you're crazy when you call him out on the abuse, the, the um, harmful treatment he does to his children. He turns it around on you. He makes it look like it's your fault. You're to blame. And he will drive you crazy. He will make you become dependent on him he will make you lose your self-worth. He will convince you nobody else will ever want you. You'll never find another job, and you'll never make it on your own. And so you're stuck with me. And that's what gaslighting is. So beware of gaslighting. Okay, so now, now you're going to sit, you're going to discuss it with your husband. Obviously by now, if you're being abused, you're going to say, this isn't working right now, and we need to do something. I'm not talking about divorce. 
I'm talking about us getting away separately for 90 days. We get counsel, we get therapy, and we get help. And if he doesn't agree to that, then you're going to need to move. It's a, it's a total clue you need to separate, okay? Um, God is not into abusive women. God, we don't say, I'm suffering for God when you're being beaten and your children are being beaten and abused. That's not suffering for God. God doesn't bring pain. The devil comes to steal, kill, restore. God came to give life and more abundantly. So there's just a little balance in here, okay? So um, you go through the separation. Hopefully he's getting counsel. He's getting help as part of the plan. You're getting counsel. You're getting help. You're praying. This isn't a divorce. It's a separation. You're praying, hoping, and believing, and trusting God that this marriage is going to be restored, okay? Um, Chris, if after the 90 days, now remember, we're, we're, oh, thank you so much. We're praying to discern, is it time to walk away or is it time to wait? So after 90 days, this is your decision now. Are you willing to wait a little bit longer and see if it still might change? Or are you ready to walk away? When you come back after 90 days and your husband has had no therapy, he's been accountable to nobody, he doesn't care about anything, then that's the time Gary says to walk away. Now, everything that I'm going to share with you today is coming from Gary Johnson, okay? So, excuse me. Okay, so now Gary says, the very next question he's asked after a woman has been through this, she asks him, can I get a divorce? And he says to her, to everyone, the same answer, I cannot make the decision for you. That is a decision you need to make on your own. But as you have been praying and going through this um, period of time, if God has released you, then you stand on solid ground. And Gary says, and I firmly believe, he says, I firmly believe that God is with you, that God will walk through this thing with you. And um, he ends with, it isn't divorce that ruins a marriage. It's infidelity, abuse, and violence that ends a marriage. And if we convince women that they need to stay in abusive relationship, we misrepresent the heart and the mercy of God. Amen. Amen. So I just want to share a little bit with you now of my testimony. Um, my teen years, I was rebellious. I was hateful. I was the black sheep of the family. And I, you know, you know how they say you look for love in all the wrong places. So I found a guy, I fell in love, and we started to do drugs. We drank a little bit. And uh, he became very abusive physically abusive to the point to where when I tried to break up with them, he stalked me, he stalked my family, he called and he threatened my mother, he threatened my aunt. And then one night when I came out of my work shift and got in my car, he was in the back seat and he put a knife to my throat, it's 11.30 at night, and he had me drive to a hotel off out in the middle of nowhere where he already had a key. And he pulled, had me pull right up to the door he forced me out of the car. He pushed me inside the room. And for about three and a half hours, he hit me, he beat me, he kicked me. He told me everything that was wrong with me. 
And finally, at about 3 o'clock in the morning, I don't know how I did it. He had my purse. He had my keys. And I stood there, and I said, I love you. We'll get back together. Just give me my purse. Give me my keys. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to find some place to get some food to bring back for you and me. And then we'll eat, and we'll talk about working it all out. Thank God he fell for it. I got my purse. I got my key. The door was 3,000 miles away. I ran to the door. I got out. I got in my car. By the time I got my car, he realized what he had done. He ran out. He started cursing at me. He jumped on the hood of my car. I put my car in quick reverse, backed way out, left him on the pavement, and, and went back. Went to my mommy's house. I wasn't going back to my apartment, but I went to my mommy's house. And um, she helped clean up my bruises. I had broken glasses. Clean up the mess, and the next morning I filed for a restraining order. Yeah, and thank God. And so that eventually I heard he went to jail. So I knew I was safe for a while on the street, but I did move away. And I got another job, and I met another guy. This is a guy that you thought you knew, but you never really knew. And after I married him, I found out he had a hidden addiction. His addiction was gambling. I didn't realize what he was doing at the time, except that everything in the house was disappearing. And I remember one day looking for my diamond ring and my wedding band. And I'm looking everywhere. This is what you want to call gaslighting? Husband, have you seen my rings? No. Did you leave them somewhere? No. So he's helping me look everywhere. And then I found the pawn slips. He had pawned my jewelry. Things I brought from home as a child, things that I treasured, began to disappear. Do you know I stayed with him for five years, trying to fix him, trying to change him, trying to love him, and it only got worse. It was my time to walk away. Enough was enough. I walked away. Now, you think I would have learned my lesson by now. (laughs) So I got a job at a bar. I became a bartender, and I met a guy in the bar. Isn't that a shipwreck ready to happen? So we're both drinking. We're having a great time. And um, we decide, you know, maybe get married. Well, then I got pregnant. And so then we said, okay. So he's like, we're going to get married. By now, I'm thinking, no, I don't know. I'm already, my relationship, I've got a wounded heart. I've got a lot of issues in my life. And he has a lot of issues in his life but he's going to help me raise my baby, okay? Now, this was a big decision for me because, as I said before, I was very pro-choice, and I had made some wrong decisions in the past, and this decision actually crossed my mind again, that I wasn't good enough to be a mother, I wasn't good enough to be a wife. For some reason, I decided I was going to trust this man, and he was going to help me through this marriage. The day after we signed the certificate... It was World War II. (laughs) You know, you can't take two broken people and try and make something right. Okay. So we were two broken people. I decided I was going to do this on my own. I wasn't going to put up with another situation like this. And I left my husband. For three years, I ran from my husband with a little girl in her car seat 
going everywhere with me. She's been across half the United States with me, running, running. The only thing is when I ran, I was always there when I got somewhere else. So we spent three years like that. During this time, my husband had been transferred to a job in New Orleans, and he wandered one morning. He wandered into a church in Reserve, Louisiana, Brother Rod and Miss Mary Aguilard. And he gave his life to Christ, and he was a total change. Now, godly men surrounded him. Godly men discipled him. He called me. I'm a thousand miles away, back at the bar, back where I knew people. Doug calls the bar the artificial church, where everybody knows your name. Everybody loves you. We had fun, but there was never any um, encouragement. There was never anything, no sharing about the Lord. You don't know what you're missing until you have the family of Christ in you in your heart. So anyway, he called and he said, Hey, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm a changed man. I don't drink anymore. I don't do drugs anymore. I don't curse. I lost my anger. Please come back to me. And I'm thinking, who changes like that? The guy's insane. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I've done that too many times. I'm not going back. So He's in church one morning, and I'm, this is just a defining moment for my husband. Because the morning he was in church, he was in worship. It was Father's Day, 1985. And as he stood during the worship, he began to look around. All these beautiful families. Fathers with their wives and their children planning the events of the day after Father's Day. And he began to feel sorry for himself. And he said... God, I've been fasting and I've been praying and believing for you to bring my wife and daughter back. And here I am, standing alone. And the room became silent to my husband. Even though the worship was going on, he heard a very soft voice say, Son, if you had been half the man you should have been, your wife and your daughter would be here beside you. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit so touched his heart, he fell to the floor and he wept. He began to wail. He actually said he crawled under the chair. And he cried and cried and cried. And through that time, with just him and the Lord, you know, the intercessor, Rhea, when Doug was wailing in the back, all the people were coming back to comfort him. And Rhea Bernard... Everybody get back. Let the Holy Ghost do what the Holy Ghost got to do. And the Holy Ghost ministered to my husband. At that moment, my husband repented to the Lord for his attitude. He repented to me and Kristen while he was under the chair for what he had done to us. And he forgave us for leaving him. And he got it right with God. Now I'm going to tell you something about forgiveness. It's a very powerful thing. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. It isn't about forgetting what has happened. It isn't so much a benefit for the person you forgive as it's a benefit for you when you forgive. It's not saying what you did to me doesn't matter anymore. But what it is saying is I'm going to let that thing go. I'm going to stop holding it against you. When you release something like that in the spirit, you break a negative connection between 
you and that person that you haven't forgiven. A soul tie is broken. And I firmly believe that the spirit of God is now able to move into the situation that you've been praying about. Because a thousand miles away, I was totally unaware of what had just happened with my husband. But something started to happen in my heart. And my hatred for my husband began to soften. And I couldn't understand why. Now, I'm still working in the bar. I've still got my friends there telling me, don't go back to him. We'll help you raise your kid. I'm getting all the unwise counsel that the world wants to give you. Okay? So my defining moment was one night, I would bring my daughter into the bar at night, and then a very sweet woman named Marie would come and get her and watch her for my shift. And one night I looked over. It's been a thousand nights before. She's two and a half years old. She's in front of the jukebox. She's in her little pink jammies. And everybody knew her favorite song. Girls just want to have fun. (laughs) So everybody would come and put the quarter in the jukebox when they saw Kristen come in. And I'm over there fixing the drinks, and I'm looking over at Kristen, and everyone's thinking it's just so cute. And she's over there in her little pink suit, and she's, girls just want to have fun. And she's dancing and dancing. And I'm looking at her, and for the first moment in my life, the whole room was quiet, all the faces were blank, and all I saw was a three-year-old dancing to the music in an odd, godly place. And then I saw her at 10, and I saw me. I saw her at 20, and I saw me. I saw her at 30, and I saw me. And my defining moment at that moment was, I am not going to let you be raised like this. God has so much better. I know he does. I know he does. When I got her home that night, I put my hands on her cheeks, and I said, Kristen, we're going to go home. And I said, your daddy is going to watch you grow up, not another man. Your daddy is going to walk you down the aisle and not another man. And I think a month later, we were home. Now, it wasn't all unicorn and roses, as my husband always says. (laughs) So my husband had been discipled. My husband was saved. I came home, and I'm like, there has to be a test. Let me see if he really quit drinking. <laughs> I was shocked because Friday nights we go to the bar. I'm saying, surely when I got there, you have a bar that you go to on Friday night. No, I go to a life group. <laughs> I didn't know what a life group was. I had no clue. So I didn't go to a life group with him. He went by himself. It took me a while. It took me a while. Um, I had a very hardened heart. But through this whole situation, the church began to reach out to me and love me for all that I was. I mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they accepted me. And I think for that first year of being in that church and finally going to a life group and letting women love me was what really led me to the Lord. And I fell in love with the body of Christ. I really believe I do before I fell in love with Jesus. Because I've never had anybody love me unconditionally like the church did. When I first got saved, 
I was in my bed one night reading Stephen King, and Doug was in the living room praying for me. And God said, now's the time. And Doug was like, he walked in the room, and I'm behind Stephen King, and he says, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. And he began to share Jesus with me. And I couldn't believe that Jesus could really love me. I couldn't believe the things he was telling me. And I fell to my knees by the side of the bed. And I gave my life to Christ. I knelt down with my darkness, my shame, my hatred, my bitterness. And I felt the love of God. The love of God like I've never felt before. Wash over my life. And I got up a new person in Christ, loved by a father that I'd never known. I read the Bible three times that summer. King James. King James. I put, uh, uh, sat out in the backyard, got a blanket, read through. I'm going to understand this. I'm going to get the word of God. Now, because of my wounds, because of the things that I still carried in my heart, I really, I needed a lot of help. So I would watch the way women in the church would love their husbands. And I didn't have that love for my husband. And I wanted that. And Kristen was getting older. By now, God gave us a son. And um, I'm still having my struggles. So I decided one day to grab my Bible, to grab a notebook, and to grab a pen. And I went to the lake. I got by myself. And on my way there, I'm in the car. I said, God, I want to love the way I see these people love. I want to love my husband the way they love their husbands. But I don't know if I can get that back again. I felt like I'd have to be starting all over again, like the first day when I met him. And I don't know if that's even possible to start over again. So opened up my Bible, Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to give you the message translation. When I opened up the Bible, the first words on there were starting all over again. And when I saw those words, I knew I was about to get very intimate with my Savior. The very next verse in 2.14, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I thought, wow, this is getting personal. I leaned in, and I felt like God was saying, I'm going to start all over with you. And he said, I'm going to take you out into the wilderness where we had our first date. He said, do you remember when we had our first date? It was the day I got down on my knees. And he came and he washed over me with his love. He says, you didn't know me then, but I knew you. And I've been waiting for you. And that night you finally met me. That was our first date. He said, I'll court you there. I'll bring you roses. I will take Heartbreak Valley. And I will set before you an open door of hope. And I will cause you to sing as you did those first days when I brought you out of Egypt. Those first days when he brought me out of my pain and my wounds and my sin life. 
I will never forget that moment. I will never forget that day. And I'll tell you, I've been dating him ever since. And when I get away from it, when I get too busy, I remind myself, today I'm starting over. And I start over again with the Lord. But times I wander off, I can feel him drawing me out to the wilderness, out to the place of no distractions, where he wants to date you and give you bouquets of roses. For all of you that are hurting, for all of you that are wounded, for all of you have been told you're not worth it, for all of you the verbal abuse, even of a child, you'll never make it, you'll never amount to anything. Let there be an end to the abuse and an end to the lies. And I want to say to you this morning that God wants to date you. And God wants to give you bouquets of roses. I just want to pray over all of you right now. Father, I just thank you for the women in this room. Lord, I think some have been hurt. Some have been wounded. Some know some friends or maybe a sister who's going through an abusive situation. So, Father, I just want to thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts, for bringing healing. Father, in the name of Jesus, and I want to encourage each one that my husband and I have just celebrated 40 years of marriage. And, yeah, my husband and Kristen's father walked her down the aisle on her wedding day, officiated the marriage. And last year, we walked our son with him down the aisle, and my husband officiated the marriage. So what's impossible with man is always possible with God. Just leave you with that, that God is truly faithful. And engaging with him and getting alone with him and going on that date, enjoy your date, enjoy the courting, and enjoy your roses. In Jesus' name. I have, a, I have a few of these up here, starting over. Um, and it's actually the title of my message. But if you want to come up and grab one, it's a good thing to put on your refrigerator. Because sometimes if you've had a couple of days where it's been ragged or you've kind of been out of it, you'll see this on the fridge and say, time to start over. And you'll feel the Lord tugging you out to that place where you get along with him. And he courts you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can continue to learn, grow, and flourish with us as a community of women by visiting nrpflourish.com. There you will find information on our Facebook group, our weekly Flourish podcast with Penny 2C, and our 2024 Flourish dates. For more information about NRP and other conferences that we have going on throughout the year, visit nrpastors.com. We can't wait to see you at one of our conferences soon.